0: this opportunity to worship you in song in the word in greeting one another in praying and caring for one another thank you that you've come you are Emmanuel God with us thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus to come from heaven to earth to live to die to live again and show us the way to the Father Thank you. All God's people said, amen. All right. You may be seated. Wow. Good job. Great singing. Thank you, Derek and team. Appreciate that very, very much. Well done. Man, it's so good to see you here today. And uh, man, I, you know, I had no idea how many people are going to show up today. But you did a really good job of showing up today. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. You bet. Oh. Okay. So, um. I do make you a promise, uh, we will not sing We Three Kings anymore this year. (laughs) We've done a good job. We've worn that one out, but uh, thank you. So I just remind you of this. If you haven't been here, we've used this song to talk about the gifts that they brought and what those gifts represent. God represent king, God, priest, Sacrifice. It's really been very, very fun. I've enjoyed putting it together. and uh, But we talked and we said this, that the man who wrote this carol, uh, John Henry Hopkins, wrote it in 1857. He wrote it for a Christmas pageant. Now, uh, we don't have any video of that, of course, but it would be nice to be able to see what he put together, right? And he, this is the first carol composed in the USA that gained popularity. It had a tag on it called Made in the USA. All right? <laughs> But it's the first one that was a a United States carol that gained popularity. You know the others are typically from, you know, from Germany, Silent Night. The others, France, I think, is uh, First Noel. Each of those kind of have a different derivation. But this one comes from the United States, as Mr. Henry put it together. And you know this, those three verses are written so that three men would sing those three verses. Three different men would sing those verses about gold, about frankincense, and about myrrh put together that way as he was thinking through as God was leading and put it together. He was a very good musician. He played the bugle. He played the flute in his uh, high school or in his school days in the orchestras. He taught Sunday school as a young man. As he grew, he was a man of many talents. He was beloved as a, as a writer, as a poet, as a musician, as a creator of these uh, um, excellent, excellent carols that he has. He was an artist, too. He designed stained glass. Uh, very, very... Um, a Renaissance type man, but excelled in each of the things that he did. He was ordained as an Episcopal priest in 1872. He was totally devoted to his parish. He loved his people. He loved his kids, the kids especially. And that, that rings out as you read some of the things about about him. And he was a great developer of the hymnody, 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 how do you say that, hymnody in the Episcopal church. He's got over 40 carols or songs that are attributed to him as he wrote. And God really gifted this man. One of the ways that he was able to do that is because he never married. <laughs> he had a lot more time just to be able to devote to these things. And y'all know how it is. And as a single youth pastor for a while and you know you just you do have more time just to be able to devote to it. And uh, but marriage is really good too. Kind of not really liking it after 40 years. Works out pretty good. All right. Lastly, this. He was the one who do, who um, gave the eulogy for the funeral of President Ulysses S. Grant in 1885. He's a pretty well-known man to be able to do something like that. And as God used him in all his gifts, he used them for the glory of God. And we get to sing his carol. And again, but that's the last time we're going to sing it this year. <laughs> All right? So we have said, we have some questions about the first six words of that carol. We three kings. We don't know there were three kings. Matter of fact, one gentleman in our congregation mentioned this week, he said he was reading something that said maybe even a thousand people could have accompanied those men to visit king of the Jews, to find the king of the Jews. We also know they weren't kings because the Greek word used there in the passage of Matthew 2 is not the word for kings, it's a word for magi or wise men, wise guys as we've been calling them. And then we know that they didn't come from what we would consider the Far East, the Orient, they came from Iran or Persia. So, let's just look at it one more time. Ms. Bailey read it a little bit before us, I'll read just a little bit more is where Matthew chapter 2. You've got it there. You've got a Bible in front of you. You can grab it onto it, your tablet. By now, you should probably have it memorized. But <laughs> my Mine's getting kind of dog-eared right here in Matthew chapter 2 because it's turned here so many times over the past month. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where has he been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star When it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he assembled all the chief priests and the people, scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem in Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, You will shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel? Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So last week, I showed you a picture of some wise guys that somebody had sent me. So I asked you to send me pictures of wise guys, and you did. You did very, very good. So let me show you some of them. Uh, This is not a wise guy, all right? My wife said, for Christmas, take $200 and buy me a nativity set, and if there's anything left over, you can spend it on the fishing stuff. (laughs) That's not a wise guy, all right? (laughs) That is not a wise guy. But here's some of those pictures. This is what we started off with last week. Really, really good set that somebody made for their family. Somebody sent me this one in. Looks like it could be maybe up on the fireplace mantle. Ah, look at that. All right, look at this one. Look at this one. It's like, look at the guy in the middle. It's like he could just all of a sudden go, I'm here. (laughs) Doesn't look like he's real. It looks like he's just just ready to... His eyes just make him look really real. All right, another one. Beautiful, beautiful set. Oh, there's some wise men in cookies. You can eat them. <laughs> All right, look at those. Now, here's two two different ones from one family. And um, the, the lady who sent this in to me said that her wise men are in the far east part of her house. Because they're still coming. (laughs) They're still coming. And then, oh, there was only two in there. She said, I don't know where the other wise guy is. (laughs) And here's a picture. Uh, This is from the same person. And uh, this person um, recognized what it says in Scripture, that they came to the house. So they put a house behind the wise men. And again, a couple of different pictures from someone else in our church. These guys, man, looks like every one of them could have a bag of gold on that, right? Why the regal, oh royal, royal ones? Again, just some cute ones that are there from another family just sharing them with us. And I like this. Somebody sent me this. Maybe he'd rather have a rattle. No, man, trust me. Babies love myrrh. Makes frankincense to me. <laughs> I love it when you have fun with me. Thank you so much for that, for sending those in. And we try to get the the essence of what God has for us in this passage. So we've talked about now what is true about the story. What is true? Well, obviously, Matthew 2 is true. And as we talk about the song, they were guided by a star. We've talked about that. we talked about they had GPS, right? The global positioning star. They had a God-provided star. These ones you sent into me. Guided purposely star. God's perfect star. Love all the things you've put together in that. I heard something, I read something about GPS this week as uh, I was running through the the, uh, neighborhood post and somebody, and I saw it again this morning on there, I thought it was pretty cute. Said, uh, hey, I got me a senior GPS. And then it goes on to say there, it says, it not only tells me where I'm going, but why I want to go there. <laughs> we all understand that. Maybe some of you young people understand that, right? You younger people, you understand. You know, that's life. You know, we're going someplace, we get up out of the chair, we walk into the other room, we go, Yeah, hmm. <laughs> why did I come into this room? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Happens to me a lot at the church. I we'll get up, go out, you know, and stand out in the lobby and go, Now, what was it I was looking for out here? Get you a senior GPS. Not only tell you where you're going, but why you're going there and what you're going for. So get one of those. It'd be good for you. We said that they came to worship. We know that. The inheritance troubled in that. And the leaders know the location. The unwise men know the location, but they don't do anything about it. Know anything about it. They know that it's in Bethlehem. It's three to four miles away. This king of the Jews is being born. Has been born, but they know nothing about it and do nothing about it through the thirty-three years or so that Jesus lived. They go, they find a child in a house. Some of you are still having a problem with that, I know. <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> Not making it up. It's right here. They go to the child in the house, and they got to worship. There's one I quoted, one author said this, that offering incense and worship to a man, let alone a child, would be downright shocking. This is just so out of the ordinary that they would come and worship him and offer incense to him. It's downright shocking, but it's what God had for them. And they brought those gifts. Again, I remind you of the gifts. Gold for a king. His kingship on the earth, his kingship in the heavenlies, what he's done for us. And we've sung about it. Read with me. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain. Gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never, over all of us to reign. And we've looked at Revelation chapter 19, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord. That's who he is. And they recognize that as God has guided them. has put these thoughts in his mind that this is who they're going to see. Frankincense, the Magi, affirm his deity as, as fully man and fully God. We don't quite understand how that works, but God made that happen. But it also illustrates his priesthood, who he is and the great high priest and what he's going to be in, as incense was used by the priest to worship the Father. And to worship God, we should kind of glory there, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And we said we looked at Hebrews as we talked about this. Since then, we have a high, great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession of faith. Stick with it. Hold to it, my friends. Don't let it go. This is who Jesus is. And in this, as they offer this incense, it represents the worship of Him and what He's going to do for us in making the way to the Father, opening the door for us. And then they bring myrrh to confirm that He's going to be the Savior, the one who would die for our sins. Myrrh is mine. Read with me, please. It's bitter perfume. Breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in a stone-cold tomb. And look what it says in Luke. Then he, talking about Joseph of Arimathea, took it down, the body of Jesus, and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone. I mean, Mr. Mr. Hopkins got it right. Cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. And we've been through that. But this morning... We got to get him out of that tomb because he's not there anymore. We need to celebrate that Jesus resurrected out of that stone cold tomb. As we sang earlier, glorious now, behold him arise, King and God and sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia. Heaven to earth replies. He is risen, he is risen indeed. We can't keep him there in verse 3. we got to get him to verse 4. got to get him to the resurrection. So guess what? We're going to celebrate Easter at Christmas today. Now, maybe if you only come to Majestic at Christmas or at Easter, I've given you good reason to come back at Easter to see if we celebrate Christmas at Easter. Because <laughs> we're doing Easter at Christmas today. And if you are our guests to us, thank you so much for being here. And please accept my invitation to come and visit with us before Easter. <laughs> We'd love to have you come back and be a part of our church and the passionate people who who love the Lord Jesus Christ and believe the Christmas story, Christmas story, who believe the Easter story, the event. And then they recognize that he is the baby who is born and placed in a manger, that he is the child who is in the house. He is the Savior who is on the cross, and he is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that. We hold to that, that cardinal truth that this is true. But just for a few moments, a couple more hours, let's talk about Jesus, the resurrection. It won't be that long key passage outside the Gospels about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul writes, and he says this, For I delivered to you what was of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers, And I was reading, as I was reading a little commentary about that, one of the the authors, the author of that said this, he said, have you ever thought about what are the scriptures he's referring to? That he died according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And I thought, no, I haven't. (laughs) And maybe you haven't either. What are those scriptures he's referring to? Well, let me give you just a few. Psalm 16. 8-10 says this, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Now, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David goes from talking about what God's doing for him and he's not going to be shaken. He's going to be secure before he is. And then he gives this, as we look back on it, it was prophetic about this is about Jesus. That he would, soul would not be abandoned to shield and the Holy One would not see corruption. And one of the reasons we know that that's a prophecy is because Peter quotes that in his Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, where Peter says this. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch. Okay, I I cut it down so I could get it on the slide. Let me read it all to you. I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Let me stop. My thoughts. What he's saying is, David died. David died. His tomb is here. We know his tomb is here. Now he's going to make a comparison about Jesus. Being therefore a prophet, he's speaking of David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was, now he's back into Psalm 16, not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He's referring back to there that when David wrote that, as he put it together, he was saying, Jesus, the Messiah, is not going to have his soul abandoned. And he's not going to seek corruption. He's going to rise again some day. He is risen? Yeah. He's not in the tomb. He's not there. I've been there. To the supposed tomb of Jesus. He's not there. But David is he died, and he wasn't God. He wasn't the Messiah. He didn't rise again, but Jesus did. The resurrection, the resurrection, how important it is. Another verse that we would know that speaks of this is found in that beautiful suffering servant, kind of a psalm in in Isaiah chapter 53 you notice it goes through what Jesus has done for us and we quoted it i think just last week all we like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way for the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all that's what he did in his his death but it goes on in verse 10 and it says this yet it was it was still it was the will of the lord to crush him he is put into grief he shall see his offspring he shall prolong Speaking of the resurrection. Now, Jesus didn't have physical offspring, we know that, but he has spiritual offspring. Those that have believed, that have come to know Jesus Christ, he will see them again, his disciples. He will see them again. He will see and be a part of their lives once more. His days were prolonged as he came forth from the grave. Physically, he came forth. He went to heaven in a physical body. The angel said, Man, did you look at him? He's going up nearly. He's going to go up, and he's going to come back in the same way. In a physical way, he's coming back. Speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is risen. He is risen indeed. There's a third passage to consider. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, and they want a sign. They want something that he would do to prove that he was the Messiah, that he really was the Son of God. He's done a bunch of those things already anyway. But, you know, they're always looking for something, you know, to be able to, you know, get after him in a little bit. And he says to these religious leaders, he said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. But a sign will not be given to it except for the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah, as it says in chapter 1, verse 17, was three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish, the whale, if you will. And Jesus is saying that's a picture of what I'm going to do, that I'm going to be like that and I'm going to resurrect after those days. As one of the commentators said, as Jesus explains, Jonah the big fish is an analogy of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Though Christ is a much greater prophet than Jonah. Craig Blomberg, who was one of my professors at Denver Seminary when I was there doing my graduate work, said this, Just as Jonah's time in the fish would have proved meaningless had he not been spit up onto the shore to continue his appointed ministry of preaching repentance to Nineveh, so also the crucifixion is not the decisive sign of who Jesus was, for his subsequent rescue from death is what vindicated his ministry and enabled his ministry to go forward. You see, if John had died in the belly of the whale, we wouldn't have got chapters three, 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> if he had been spit up, we wouldn't have got those chapters of him going to Nineveh and doing what God wants him to do. And if Jesus hadn't arisen from the dead, our faith is in vain. It's futile, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. The resurrection proves who he is. He died, yes, he died for the sins in his body in the tree he took on the sins so that we could have this relationship with the Father. Yes, and forgiveness of sin, we understand that. But his resurrection sealed the deal. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now think about this. I kind of try to wrap it up. Think about this. If we didn't have Christmas, what? We wouldn't have Easter. If we didn't have Christmas, we wouldn't have Easter. It wouldn't, wouldn't happen. wouldn't happen. Right? Doorbell's ringing. Grab it. Grab that phone. Get <laughs> this. But we can say confidently, on the other hand, if we didn't have Easter, we wouldn't have Christmas. If we didn't have Easter, we wouldn't have Christmas. Why? Because this because Jesus would have just been another precious little Jewish boy born in Bethlehem who lived, who died, and died. Right? We don't have Easter without Christmas, but we don't have Christmas without Easter. Right? He has to rise from the dead because He's the Son of God. And if He doesn't do that that Christmas doesn't matter because he was just another person. But he's not. He's the Son of God. And he rose from the dead to prove his victory over sin and death and the grave and that he was the Son of God. Wow! That is so good. That's why we can celebrate Christmas because of what he did at Easter. (laughs) If we hadn't done it at Easter, we wouldn't have to celebrate Christmas. It'd just be another day with Santa Claus. Another day of giving gifts. But it isn't because of what He did for us. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is, help me out, Christ the Lord. For unto you, for unto us, is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Lord and he proved it in his resurrection. Advent devotion I read this week said this Jesus left the magnificence of heaven, he stepped into human clothing, he lived a sinful, a sinless life, was rejected and crucified and rose victoriously from the dead. That's what Jesus did for us and that's why Christmas is so meaningful because of what he did. As we think about his birth we think about his rising from the dead we can say what paul said in second corinthians 9:15 help me out thanks be to god for his indescribable gift help me out thanks be to god for his indescribable gift and that's what it is we didn't deserve it i read this week that the best presents aren't wrapped <laughs> The best presents aren't wrapped. Think about this. Jesus came unwrapped. And his presence is his greatest present. Jesus came unwrapped. And his presence is his greatest present. You don't know Jesus today? Accept him and his gift of salvation. You know this verse from Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. But what? The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. What he has done for us. And he is a gift. And he wants for you if you don't have a relationship with him, if you've not accepted his gift of salvation, he wants you today accept that free gift of salvation, of eternal life. How does that happen? Well, we just put it simply in the ABCs, that we would admit to God that we're a sinner. Yes, we are. We all are. We know that. We've done things that have hurt God, grieved God. But Jesus came, and He gave His life on the cross. The Son of God came and gave His life on the cross, and we need to believe, to receive Him, we confess our faith in him, that's the sea. We commit our lives to him. We say yes to him. I need you to forgive my sin. I need you to give me eternal life. You can't get there by working, friends. It is that that is that is anti-biblical. Works are not going to get you there. Jesus did the work for you. That's why he died. He came and gave his life as a free gift that you could have his gift desire. invite Him in today. Say yes to Him. Father, You know I've sinned. I know that You love me because You sent Jesus. He died on the cross for me. He gave His life for me. And today I, I confess my faith in You. I, I take You as my Savior. I trust You for my salvation because You are the Savior. You're the one who has come you made that decision today, take that card, take that connection card, just check that little box. I made a first-time commitment. And for us that know Jesus, keep living him out. Philippians 3, 16, only live up to what you've attained. If you invited Jesus to be a part of your life, you are a part of his family, let's live that way, in a holy way, in a, in a way that would honor him and bring great joy to him through our obedience to Father, thank you so much for what you've done in the Christmas event. Thank you so much what you did in the Easter event and that they tie together. You can't have one without the other. Father, thank you that years ago, it was a holy night. Probably was a silent night too. Can't imagine how hard that was for Mary and Joseph basically be all alone delivering this child knowing that it's the Christ child. And all that they would go through as parents, shame, not shame, but embarrassment maybe, the the persecution that they took on because it just doesn't seem like this could really happen. It is a crazy way to save the world. But it's your plan thank you that we get to be a part of it. Thank you for being patient with us, offering forgiveness and hope, love and peace and joy through Jesus Christ.